0: Good morning. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Christian life is like a race, and just as the key to being an effective runner is self-control, so the key to effectiveness in the Christian life is self-control. We saw a good example of that at the end of chapter 9. It was the example of Paul who showed us the right way to run. And now in chapter 10, we're going to see a bad example of that. And that's Israel showing us the wrong way to run. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. And then notice verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Do you see the illustration? Go back to chapter 9 and verse 24. Verse 24, he says, those in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may win. And then he tells us in verse 25, the key to winning is self-control. And then he tells us in verse 27, that if you don't have self-control, you can be disqualified. And now in chapter 10, he tells us that Israel did not practice self-control. And they're an example to us of being disqualified. You see, the alls in chapter 10 in the first four verses, I want us to look at those alls. Israel was all in the race, but most of them were disqualified. Notice the first all. He says in verse 1 that our fathers were all under The cloud. That's the idea that God guided them in the wilderness. Exodus 13, 21 and 22 says they had a pillar of cloud by day and they had a pillar of fire by night that led them on the way. And it wasn't just for some of them, it was for all of them. And then the second all is at the end of that verse, it says, and all passed through the sea. When they came to the Red Sea, With Pharaoh and his army behind them, God opened the sea and they all passed through the waters and went through on dry land. And they were delivered from Egypt. They were set free from the bondage in Egypt. They had liberty. They had freedom. All of them. And then he says in verse 2, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, when you hear the word baptize, I know immediately what you're thinking of. You're thinking of water baptism. This is not talking about water baptism. Now, this, this is a verse that a lot of people use for baptism. Those who like to sprinkle say, see, they, the cloud passed over them and sprinkled on them. Those who like to dunk say, see, they went through the Red Sea and they were immersed. Nobody got wet on this day there's no water here in fact the 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 cloud was not a rain cloud we're told that it was a a a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night i don't think there was a lot of water in that cloud and the scripture specifically says that the children of israel walked through the red sea on dry ground they didn't get wet when they went through the red sea that's the liberal position that they got to the Red Sea and it wasn't really a sea. It was just ankle-deep water and they kind of waded through the water. Like the little boy who heard that and said, "What's well, a bigger miracle than I thought. Pharaoh and his army were drowned in ankle-deep water. See, the issue of baptism is not here in the sense that he's talking about water. The issue is what baptism represents what it means. And the idea behind baptism is to be identified with. In Romans chapter 6, it says we are identified with Jesus Christ in our baptism, that is, in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. The idea of baptism is to be identified with him. On this occasion, Moses was God's man. He was God's chosen deliverer. He was the one who represented God to man and the one who represented man to God. And when the people went with Moses after the cloud, and when they went with Moses through the Red Sea, they were identifying with him. They were being baptized with him. They were lining up with him. They were identifying themselves with him. And then verse 3 says, And they all ate the same Spiritual food. What did the Israelites eat in the wilderness? Manna. The Bible says it was a fine flake-like thing that came with the dew every morning. The Bible says it was like coriander seed and it tasted like wafers with honey. Like graham crackers. You know what manna means? Manna means literally what is it? That's what Israel said when they first saw it in Exodus sixteen fifteen. They said, What is it? And they named it that. My mom used to give us manna. <laughs> I can remember my brother saying, Pass that whatever it is manna here it's called spiritual food now that doesn't mean that it gave spiritual life in fact jesus said in john 6 49 your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died it wasn't spiritual food in the sense that it brought some kind of spiritual life it was spiritual food because of its source Where did it come from? It came from the Spirit of God. It was provided by God every morning. It was a provision for them from God. And so it was spiritual food. And then look at verse 4. It says, And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. God provided not only food but drink as well. What did the children of Israel drink in the wilderness? They drank water. In Exodus 17, and again in Numbers chapter 20, Moses struck the rock and outflowed water. And this verse tells us that that rock followed them. Now, I don't think that's a literal statement. I don't think there was a rock rolling around behind them in the wilderness. I think the idea is that that rock was there when they needed it for God to provide for them. And Paul goes on and says the rock was Christ. Interesting. Tells me a couple things about Jesus. Number one, it tells us about his deity because if you look in the Old Testament, rock is always identified with God. Psalm writer says, he is my rock and my salvation. And Paul says, our rock is Christ. So it speaks of his deity. It also speaks of his preexistence. He existed before Bethlehem. Jesus was in the Old Testament providing for the children of Israel in the wilderness before he was ever born in Bethlehem. So here we see that Israel had many privileges They were all delivered from Egypt. They were all guided by the cloud. They were all identified with Moses. They were all provided for by God with spiritual food and spiritual drink. But notice verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. You know how many people came out of Egypt? Numbers chapter 1 tells us there were 600,000 men. Now when you add to that women and children, they probably had 2 million people. 2 million people were in the race. They all came out, they all went through the sea, they all followed the cloud, they were all identified with Moses, they all ate the food and the water that was provided for by God Do you know how many of them made it into the promised land? Out of two million, two. Joshua and Caleb, only two above the age of 20, made it into the promised land. The rest died in the wilderness. Or literally here it says they were strewn about the wilderness. Their corpses were strewn about the wilderness, and only two made it into the promised land. The rest were disqualified. And then notice verse 6. Now these things happened as examples for us. This is not just an interesting history lesson. Paul says these things happened as an example for us so that we would learn from their mistakes. And Paul here presents five mistakes that they made. Five ways to run wrong. What are they? Number one, evil desires. Notice the rest of verse 6. It says, now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. There are two things that you can do with your body. Number one, you can keep it in subjection. You can control it, as Paul says in chapter 9 and verse 27. You can make it your slave and be useful to God. Or, as we read here in chapter 10 and verse 6, you can let it subject you. You can let it control you. You can be its slave and be useless. To God. You can be in control of your body and its lusts and be qualified, or you can be out of control and be disqualified. Israel lusted. Israel craved after evil things. Let me take you back to Numbers chapter 11 with me to just see this illustration in a little more detail. Paul's referring to an event that happened in Numbers chapter 11. Verse 4 it says, The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We're not vegetarians. We want some meat. Verse 5, We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. They're looking over their shoulder and remembering how good it was back in Egypt and how the fish taste because they put garlic and onions and leeks in with the fish. You wonder why the children, or the Egyptians sent them away. It was bad breath. Verse 6, but now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. Manna, manna, manna. Every day it's, what are we having for breakfast? Manna. What are we having for lunch? Manna. What are we having for supper? Manna. We're tired of the manna. We'd like to go back to Egypt and get some really good food. What were they saying? We're tired of God's provision for us. We're tired of this spiritual provision. We want to go back to the world and get some provision. Notice how God responds in verse 31 of this chapter. It says, Now there went forth a wind from the Lord, And it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side all around the camp and about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. God said, you want meat? I'll give you meat. So he sent them quail. About a day's journey in every direction there was quail. And here it says it was 36 inches deep, three feet deep, as far as you could go a day's journey in every direction. Notice verse 32. The people spent all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered 10 homers and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. They spent a day, all night and all the next day gathering quail. And the person who gathered the least gathered ten homers. Now this is one of those baseball verses. The other one is the first verse in the Bible, in the beginning. Ten homers is equal to 110 bushels. So the individual who was pretty lazy and didn't even try had 110 bushels full of quail. And then notice verse 33. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. So the name of that place was Kibroth, Hatava, because there they buried the people who had been greedy. Gathered all this quail, and while it was still in their mouth before they chewed it, God struck them dead. And they buried the people. And the name of the place means the graves of greediness. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, that's an example you and me, not to lust after evil things. Are your desires for the things of the Lord, or are your desires for the things of this world? Are you satisfied with God's spiritual provision for you, or are you looking over your shoulder thinking, you know, I'd like to go back to the world and be satisfied with the provision of the world. Israel did not have self-control, and they're an example to us of being disqualified. Wrong way to run, evil desires. Second way to run wrong is idolatry. Notice verse 7. Do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Children of Israel came out of Egypt with all its idolatry. They were set free from that idolatry. They came to Mount Sinai. Moses went up on the mountain to get the law. And what did the people do? Exodus 32, they took their gold rings and their gold jewelry, and they melted it down, and they had Aaron to make a golden calf. And they said to that golden calf, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And then it says they had a feast, and they sat down to eat, and they rose up to play. First time their leader is gone, they revert to idolatry. What's the message for the church at Corinth? They had come out of idolatry, and they thought that they could flirt with the world, and it wouldn't affect them. And so Paul says, "You better learn from Israel." The Corinthians were saying, "We can go to the pagan temples, and it's not going to bother us." And Paul says, "You better be careful, because you have an example from Israel. They flirted with the world and they fell into idolatry. You say, well, Dan, we don't have idols today, so how do we apply this? Well, idolatry is to believe anything less of God than he is worthy of. People do that. Churches do that. Idolatry is simply to keep calling him God, but reduce him. To something other than God and idolatry is to worship and adore and praise and honor anything or anyone other than God we have all kinds of idols today we have the idol of fame ego money education position sex Golf, tennis, clothes, cars, TV, movie stars, on and on and on. And there are plenty of people bowing down to those idols. It is crowded at the foot of those idols. You know, it's sad. I see Christians getting more excited about their car than their Lord. I see Christians getting more excited about their sports team than their Savior. And I often wonder, what does God think when he sees us get so excited about something and very indifferent when we talk about him? Ezekiel 14.3 says, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. Subtle thing about idolatry is you don't have to have a stone idol in your yard. We set up those idols in our hearts. The question is, who do you worship? Who do you adore? Who do you bow down to? You see, God has delivered you. Who are you worshiping? Who are you giving your time to? Who are you letting your thoughts dwell on? Who is at the center of your heart? If you're going to run to win, you have to get rid of idolatry. I love the the, the statement in the Old Testament where they not only took the idols and threw them away, they took the idols and they pounded them into powder so they couldn't bring them back. And that's what some of us need to do with our idols. We need to not only get rid of them, we need to destroy them so they can't come back. Third way to run wrong is immorality. Notice verse 8. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. What does God think about immorality? What does God think about premarital sex? Well, a certain group of people did it, and God slew 23,000 in one day. Does that give you an idea? It was interesting in our country how we tackle problems. We've got a problem with drugs. What, what is our logo? Just say no. We've got a problem with AIDS. AIDS an unwanted pregnancy, what do we say? Get protection. We got a problem with immorality in our country. We don't say, just say no. We say, protect yourself. It's interesting that immorality has always been closely associated with idolatry. They go hand in hand. He mentions idolatry, then he mentions immorality here because they go hand in hand. Let me me show you this illustration as well. Go back to Numbers 25. Numbers 25, verse 1. This is the incident that Paul's referring to. In Numbers 25, 1, it says, While Israel remained at Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of of Moab, immorality, for they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods, idolatry. They came and worshipped the idols that they had, and the next thing you know, they were having immorality with their daughters. So Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor, idolatry. And the Lord was angry against Israel. And then you see down in verse 9, it says, those who died by the plague that was brought on were 24,000. Now, it's interesting that in Numbers 25, it says 24,000 died. In First Corinthians chapter 10, it says 23,000 died. Not sure how to explain that, uh, First, of course, the, the scripture is inspired in its original copy, so there could have been a, a, a writing error where it was miswritten in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I think it's easier to explain it this way, that it says in 1 Corinthians 10, or it says in Numbers 25, that 24,000 died in the plague. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23,000 died in one day. So I can only explain that some of them died after midnight. But it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 7, that little quote that Paul throws in there where he says, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play, he's not talking about playing Scrabble there. If you go back to the account in Exodus 32, 25, it says Moses saw that they were naked. They worshipped the golden image, the golden calf, and then they had an orgy associated with that. Idolatry, immorality, go hand in hand. The Corinthians knew that because when they went to the pagan temples, what did they have at the pagan temples? They had orgies at the pagan temples. And they were saying, we can go there, it's not going to bother us. And they were flirting with idolatry. And immorality. That's why Paul says in a few more verses in in verse 14 of this chapter, flee from idolatry. He already said a similar thing in chapter 6, verse 12, flee from immorality. You have to flee from idolatry and immorality because they are so closely linked together. You say, I'm free. I have freedom in Christ. I can do this. I can do that. It's not going to bother me. You need to be careful with the choices that you make. You young people say, I can go park and do a little heavy breathing, and when we get to a certain point, we just quote Bible verses. You say, I can flirt with the girls at the office. It doesn't affect me. Famous last words. I can watch R-rated movies. I just pick out the redeemable parts. It doesn't bother me. I have freedom. I have liberty. Paul says you need to look back at Israel and learn from their mistakes. Two million started out. Only two made it to the promised land. One of the ways they ran wrong was running into immorality. Fourth is testing God. Look at verse 9. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. You remember that account. It's in Numbers 21. We don't have to look at it. God sent serpents upon the people. You know how that begins? Numbers 21 5 says the people spoke against God and against Moses and they said why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? We have no food, we have no water and we hate this white bread. We hate this life of restraint. We hate this spiritual provision by God. We want something from the world. They pushed God, and they pushed God, and they pushed God, and they tested God, and they tested God, and they tested God. They wanted to see how far God would go. And finally God said, that's enough. Bang. And he sent serpents on the people, and they bit the people, and the people died. You know, the chief concern of some Christians is not what can I do to please the Lord the chief concern of some Christians is how far can I go and get away with it how long a leash does God have on me how far can I go without getting the yank from God how do you approach your Christian life? Is it how far, how much can I get away with? Or is it, as Paul says, I want to do all things to the glory of God. The Corinthians were saying, we want the old life. We want some of that provision from the world. We're we're wanting to go back and be satisfied with those things. And when we get to chapter 11, In verse 30, we're going to find that some of the Corinthians were experiencing serpents in their lives because he says there that some were weak and some were sick and a number slept. God took them home because of their disobedience. They tested the Lord and they found out that there is a line whereby he's not going to take anymore. Fifth way to run wrong, is complaining, verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer, you say, grumbling, how'd that get in here, everybody grumbles, I mean, how'd that get in here with this list of bad sins, now we got complaining, hmm, Who's the destroyer in this verse? God. Did you know that God destroyed people for griping? You say, oh, no. The Corinthians were saying... We don't like to live with restrictions on our lives. We don't like to have to give up our liberty. We don't like to have to set things aside in order to run to win. We don't like it. They grumbled. They complained. They murmured. You know what complaining is? It's a failure to be satisfied with God's will for your life. When you complain, even about the weather, who are you complaining to? Well, who controls the weather? God does. When you grumble about the circumstances of your life, who are you complaining to? Well, who controls the circumstances of your life? God does. You're complaining to him. So when you complain, you need to look at this verse and realize there are all those corpses strewn over the wilderness to remind us not to gripe we need the attitude of paul in philippians 4:10 where he says for i have learned to be content in whatever circumstances i am in are you discontent do you complain all the time why do i have to be here why do I have to do that? Why does he get that and I don't get that? Why do I have to be married to her? Why can't I do what all my friends are doing? Why do, why do my parents have to be so strict? God isn't pleased with that. In number 16, Korah and Dathan and Abiram led a rebellion against Moses. They complained against Moses And they said, why do you get to be the leader? We want to be the leaders. God killed 14,700 people by the plague. Fire came out of heaven and consumed 250 people. And Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and their families were standing by themselves, and the Bible says the earth opened and just swallowed them up. And the rest of the people said, it's not good to complain. Israel fell into sin. Why? They didn't run to win. They didn't exercise self-control. A lack of self-control, a lack of self-denial will lead you to sin. You will fall into lust, idolatry, immorality, testing God, complaining. Notice what he says in verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We are at the end of the age But Paul says we better look back at Israel strewn all over the wilderness and learn some lessons. Learn the lesson not to crave evil things. Learn the lesson not to commit idolatry. Learn the lesson not to commit immorality. Learn the lesson not to flirt with our old lifestyle and test the Lord to see how much we can get away with. Learn the lesson not to complain about the choices That God has laid out for you in this life because it can lead to rebellion and ultimately to being disqualified. You say, Well, Dan, I don't have to worry about that because I can handle the race. Well, he throws in one more verse for your attitude. Verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Biggest obstacle to you in the race is your own pride. If you think it can't happen to you, it probably will. Because if you think you can handle it and you think you can stand on your own, you're destined to fall. The only way we stand is on our knees in dependence upon the Lord. He's the only one who can bring us victory in the race. And you need to be careful that you aren't flirting with these things in your life, that you aren't taking your Christian liberty and causing that to stumble, not only your brother, but you yourself. It's like the little kid who fell out of bed at night. His mom came in to get him, and she said, "What happened?" And he said, "Well, I guess I fell asleep too close to where I got in." That's what a lot of Christians do. We stay c- too close to where we got in. We need to move on in our Christian life and grow in our Christian life, and not be looking back at the things we've already laid aside. These chapters are talking about Christian liberty and how I deal with that. And he says, I limit my freedom in chapters 8 and 9 for the sake of others, so I won't stumble them. Now here in chapter 10, he's saying, I limit my freedom for myself as well. Because a continual emphasis on questionable things shows a lack of self-control and can lead to sin and disqualification. I'm going to have the praise team to come back, and I'm going to have us sing together that last praise song, I Surrender All to You. Now, it's interesting. In this Christian race, it's a paradox because the way you win the Christian race is by Surrender. No other race works that way. No other other battle works that way. You don't win by surrendering. But when it comes to the Lord, we surrender to Him. And we find victory through surrender. And that's what we're going to express at the end of the service to the Lord. Let's make this our prayer before Him. Let's stand together. Let's worship Him today. Let's analyze our hearts and see some ways that we've been running wrong. And confess that to Him. Give that up to Him. And just surrender afresh as individuals today and as a church.